Today, we have Corinne in the studio to share her experiences in foster parenting. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I'm here with Kat, and today we have foster mom Corinne joining us, and we are so excited to have you here with us today. Welcome. Thank you. So Corinne, let me ask you a very serious question. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? I like a venti iced coffee with oat milk and two pumps of vanilla. I'm a fan of the oat milk. I found that they have not had them in stock lately. Have you? So I had quit Starbucks until they got oat milk again <laughs> for the first time. And if they're out of it, I don't get myself anything. <laughs> I just, um, my husband loves to have like fun creamers in the house, like mm-hmm. for his coffee, because that's like the main thing he drinks. And um, I kind of cringe at like the chemically ones that yeah. um, that he prefers. And this week I got a um, an oat milk creamer that's just like, just oat milk. Nice. And um, he was like, what is this? It's amazing. I love it. And I'm like, yeah. Nice. So now that's what I've been buying. Perfect. Makes everything tastes like cookies. <laughs> Can you tell us what your first experiences were with foster care? Like, did you know any foster kids or social workers growing up or anything like that? No. So um, my husband and I, we were going to do international adoption and we were in the process of it for, I would say, about a year. And then um, it fell through. So when it fell through, we were about 15 grand in the hole at that point. And so the adoption agency that we were going through, they asked us if we wanted to move to, don't remember what country, but it was a country in Africa. And it wasn't, we weren't interested in it at that point. Um, I had learned a lot about international adoption and the ethics behind it. And there was a lot that we disagreed with at Uh that point. So once that fell through, we kind of just saw it as a sign of like, okay, we're we're not doing this. Um, and I had learned a lot about the needs of foster care in specifically in Florida mm-hmm. in that time frame. So like foster care had kind of been nagging on me while we were going through the international adoption process. At that point, we were kind of like, okay, where do we go? Like we're 15 grand in the hole, like 5,000 of it would have gone towards an adoption in Africa. So we were kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? And we were like, let's try out foster care. Like, let's try it out. And everything we learned from it cases last a year. That's like what we heard. (laughs) So I was like, I was like, we can try it for a year. Like, we'll try it for a year. And if it doesn't work, 
No harm, no foul. <laughs> Still dealing with the first case we had two, that started two and a half years ago. So, like, joke's on us. Oh my so, goodness. how long have you been a foster parent? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And how many placements have you had? We've had eight placements. Okay, so you, you're you still dealing with that first placement, mm-hmm. but you had other placements in the interim. Yes, we've had 10 placements. And so we've had four long-term placements and four temporary placements. I have a question for you. We had a listener send us a message on Instagram this week. She She's becoming a licensed foster parent. And she wanted to know she has a profile of zero to 18, you know, kind of leaves a pretty big gap on not knowing what to expect to Mm -hmm. be coming to your home. And she was asking us, you know, what would you recommend we do to prepare our home for it? You know, she already had like a bed and cribs and stuff like that. Do you have any suggestions for her? I think it would depend on if she's planning on doing long term placements or short term placements like we had from the beginning, the goal of doing long term placements. I was very over prepared. Um, I had so much clothing. (laughs) It was insane because we were prepared for long-term placements, but I thought I didn't really have a good grasp of foster care. So I thought that there'd be a lot of kids cycling through before we ended up with a long-term placement, which I guess could happen. We had our first little guy from directly from removal. And then he was with us for January of 2019 through June of this year. So we had him for almost two and a half years and his little brother came in and it's just been, you know, I guess I thought that I'd have a lot of different kids at first. So I prepared for that. Within three months, I got rid of so much girl clothes (laughs) because I'm like, why do I have all this baby girl clothes taking up my space? So I guess anything that a kid needs, you can really get from the time placement calls you to the time the kid comes over, you know, like Walmart and Target are open pretty late, (laughs) Uh (laughs) you know, so not as late as they used to be, not as late as they used to be. Like COVID's really thrown a wrench, but (laughs) like when, when we got our little guy's little brother, that was almost, uh, I guess a year and a half after we got him. And I was so much more minimal by that point. Uh Like, like I literally went and I bought like seven onesies, you know, like all this stuff. So I guess less is more. Um, Now the room that I use is like the nursery room. It's so much more bare bones than what I had before. Like it's very neutral. There's not much in there. I have a ikea bed that the one that can be turned upside down and oh like the the book bed yes yeah it's like it can either be you know loft bed or like one of those in each of my kids rooms and like three of them in my storage room those are the best those are the best because like when you have it set up as a bunk bed Mm -hmm. right the bottom is like pretty much on the floor yeah like you put a little thing under it and it's it's a mattress pretty much on the floor and that's great for toddlers Mm -hmm. so like when they'll call me and they'll be like i have a little guy and i'm like oh yeah i'm putting him in a bunk bed it's twin yeah and they'll be like oh are you worried because he's little or whatever and i'll be like no it's it's perfect it's on the floor it's like but even bigger kids fall out of beds you know (laughs) so if there's not a ledge on the side like there is on the top like it's really nice to have those on the floor and they kind of treat them like they're forts those are really cool bunk beds yeah i think ikea should like have some type of like foster parent sponsor they should and they're really cheap too great price so i've got that ikea bed i've got a regular crib and then i've got that little folding mini crib that foster moms love (laughs) yeah we love our mini crib so this is the first i've heard about the folding mini crib but now i've heard about it like four times in the last 24 hours so tell me more about the folding mini crib okay so there is um i mean i'm sure there's lots of mini cribs and i 
will say that one of the foster parents that I'm close friends with had heard about the mini crib that we were all talking about and went and ordered it. And I, I think I was there when she was setting it up to help her set up her new cribs and get ready for a new placement. And we put it together and it doesn't fold. And I'm like, well, dang, this takes away like one of the best parts. Like yeah. this bad boy is on Amazon for like anywhere from like 100 to 120 bucks. I almost want to say the brand is like Delta or something. But listen, if you're listening to this and you need this mini crib, we're going to post a link to it on um, our show notes and our mm-hmm. website, fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is probably the thing that I appreciate the most when I'm taking babies because who needs a big old crib for a baby? Like, have you ever seen them stretch out and take up uh-huh. the space of a whole? You know what I have seen? I've seen moms get in the crib with their babies. Like, really? I mean, cribs are so big. You do not need all that room. It's, it's true. true. I mean, I've definitely not gotten in the crib with my babies ever. I would definitely but, be like, scared. I'd break cribs it. are huge. I've, I've I mean, I'm in the crib with the baby. You have? <laughs> yeah. So that's how big they are. They are. They're big. It's not, you know, like, it, you don't need a huge well, crib. But also, like, especially someone for me who is short in stature, um, it's really nice to have the mini crib and not have to reach as yeah. far mm-hmm. or as deep or what have you um, to uh, acquire said child. You know, that's definitely one of the items. And I think most foster parents will, that take a lot of infants will tell you because they fold up flat like a pancake. You can put them in the, um, mm-hmm. just up against the wall, put them in a closet and there's wheels on them. So they you don't wheels. even have to lift them. They just like, <laughs> and scooch them where that's you need to perfect. go. Mine has like brakes on the wheels too. Does yours? I don't know. I've never looked. Yeah, mine has like breaks, so I stick it in between the little bunk bed, and like that's where it goes when there's no baby in there. For me, I I guess I would say less has been more. Yeah, and I I also I started with like every size of diaper. I don't know what I was thinking. Like I was just like, I I mean, you were prepared. I was. I had every. Well, my church was really supportive of us, and that was really sweet. So people like really sent me a lot of stuff. Um, Yeah, I just feel like most things kids need. They can, you can acquire it pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. But a mini crib and an Ikea bunk bed and having those ready. Yeah. In case you get a kid in the middle of the night is a really nice thing to have. It is nice. It is yeah. nice. I saw a mom post online. It was really cool. It was like a TikTok or something. And she had how she prepares for teen girls. And like she has this basket and she had um, bath bombs in it and like snacks. And like she had all this stuff so that like because she said a lot of girls are hesitant like when they come there to bathe or anything because of trauma. I think I've seen that. Yeah, it was really sweet. So probably like food. (laughs) Snacks. Yeah, definitely. I would say to prepare your house, you need a lot of weird yeah just get your costco membership now so you mentioned something interesting about car seats earlier when we were talking can you talk about car seats i used to be a car seat fanatic and i still believe in car seat safety obviously Uh (laughs) now that i've been doing this for a while um i tend to get very involved with the bio parents they're not always prepared for things Mm -hmm. they don't always show up with a car seat i kind of take a pick your battles approach Uh and it's like if mom got there if she's like she's trying and she left her car seat at home. I'm not going to sit there and say, you can't take your kid. So if she asked me to borrow the car seat, I let her borrow the car seat. And then in general, I can count on that car seat not coming back for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've gone from being all about the most expensive, good quality to Walmart special. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's the cheapest thing I could get well, from Walmart? I think another foster mom told me at some point when I was spending way too much time in the aisle looking at car seats and trying to figure out which one to purchase. And she said, you realize they all have to pass the same safety yeah, standard. Yes. Like they all have to pass the same test. They so do. you don't need to spend 
$400 to get a safer car seat because like all of these have passed the same test. And they all get puked in. Swaddle blankets. I did the ones with the little, I don't know what it's called, but it's got like a weighted thing on it. Yeah. They have weighted swaddle blankets. Mm -hmm. They're called magic something. And I, that's the like one baby because all my babies now are not in, in baby like stuff anymore because our youngest is 18 months now and I've kept the weighted swaddle blankets but it was a lifesaver for me with one of my babies that was really fussy so really the weighted swaddle blanket um a swing always a swing for kids and do you have a favorite swing no because all my babies liked different ones (laughs) so I used swing uh one of the things that I had told her is to make sure um not everybody knows this but in most areas if you're a foster parent there's something called a foster closet right where people volunteer to accept donations of items clothing you know baby gear stuff like that and if you're a foster parent and you have a foster placement that needs something you can call them or something Sometimes they have store hours where you show up and pick up stuff for your kids. So um, I told her and I would recommend to anyone else who is a foster parent, you know, if you need something and you either can't find it or you're not able to get it at that time to check with your local foster closets and um, they can sure help you out. Yeah, foster closets have been great. I've used them for like PJs for kids sometimes because yeah. they'll say that they have like too much stuff. And I'm like... They go through PJs so fast. PJs are... They're crazy expensive. Yeah. Pajamas are insanely expensive. They don't make any sense why they're that no. expensive. I'm always like, why are these so expensive? Yeah. yeah I feel I like I've had 10,000 strollers. That's the other thing. But like, I can't find the sweet spot with strollers. Have you had a Zoe? No. <laughs> I'll show you my Zoe before you leave. Um, it's The Zoe's great for multiple kids. Okay. Um, there's lots of different configurations. Mm-hmm. My configuration is it's a double side-by-side. Okay. Um, and I have a third piece that sits on the front. That mm-hmm. it, Depending on who I'm bringing, where I'm going, what the situation is, sometimes I bring the third seat for the front and it just clips on super easy. The thing I like about the Zoe is it's incredibly light. Nice. Like, and this thing moves like a dream, folds like a dream, folds up real flat, uh, can fit, like, even though it's a side-by-side, you know how, like, you go to the doctor's office and you're, like, mm-hmm. struggling to get in the room. This thing just, like, slides right in. And So is there anything else you can think of that you're like, oh, yeah, I can't live without this, so this was really helpful? I love the Komotomo bottles. Those are my favorite. I've never heard of those. I've never heard of it either. Every baby I've had has taken to them, so that's been awesome. Like, it's been my no-fail, like... They're really nice. They're silicone and they clean really easily. That's good. So that was really nice. Um, I really like having the steam sanitizer too for everything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like I use the Brezza steam sanitizer and I would throw like just all the baby crap in there, all their teethers, all their everything. And I felt like it really got everything clean and not disgusting so that's good yeah oh you know what else my ergo that has been yeah a good baby carrier that like a fussy baby can just really be close to you and you have that skin on skin time with them like that's been really good um i'm glad i had that from day one um that was it was really helpful for bonding with the babies Mm -hmm. too so i would say a really quality carrier so that you're not throwing out your back an air purifier in there that makes a nice 
yeah. you know, white noise in there. Oh, that's really smart, the air purifier for yeah. white noise. That's yeah. a good idea. Almost every kid I've had come in has had respiratory issues, which, you yeah. know, a lot of, you know, parents smoke and stuff like that while they're pregnant. So these babies come with coughs. And <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, the air purifier is yeah. a great idea. because it, it, like, comes with the built-in white noise. Mm-hmm. So you've had a lot of, you know, because you've had all these kids you've had a lot of like people come into your house like transporters caseworkers you have your own worker mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm missing people too cbhs if you were to do it all again what boundaries would you set or you know how would you do things differently with with the people that you know you interact with on a daily basis when I first started, I was very obviously starry-eyed, like any foster mom would be. <laughs> so yeah. I, I had it in my head. Like, I knew from the beginning that I wanted to, f- like, I had the foster the family mentality. So I was like, I'm going to be a bridge between these kids and the bio parents. Like, that uh-huh. was a very important thing to me. Um, I had volunteered in the juvenile delinquency centers, and I knew that, like, most of those kids are just a few years away uh-huh. from having babies and their babies being removed too, or are already pregnant and are uh-huh. already in that situation. So far for me, every single child I've had, their mother has also aged out of the system prior to mm-hmm. giving birth. So you're dealing with like really multi-generational mm-hmm. things here. So I had that in my head at the beginning and I'm like, I'm going to transport, I'm going to supervise visits, I'm going to do all of these things. But I didn't realize I'm not a therapist. I'm not qualified to deal with adult trauma and stuff. So I guess I kind of had more of a starry expectation of how that was going to go. I also had the naive expectation that a 33 at the time, I would be perceived as young by these young moms and I am old enough to be their mom in their (laughs) cultures. So like they didn't see me as like the young, hip, you know, foster mom coming in there. Like I could tell immediately, like they saw me as older. They saw me as an authority figure and they saw me as a system. So I learned after my first placement that I needed to set the boundary that I would eventually supervise for them. I would eventually do transporting stuff when it got closer to reunification because then I'm just the person caring for your kid and the person who is encouraging you. And I'm not perceived so strongly as the system, mm-hmm. quote unquote, you know. And so my best relationships I've had with bio parents are ones where I waited longer to do things and I waited and I just encouraged and I just like updated them on their kids. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then when they're late for something, it's not me telling them like, well, you can't see your kid. It's transport or case management. And I've learned to let other people be the bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think because that, that, co-parenting role that we have with them is so important really for the kids Mm -hmm. you know they need to see that we um respect their parents and that their Mm -hmm. parents respect us and when all they see is like tension Mm -hmm. even if nothing is ever said in front of the kid you know you got to do whatever we can do to create positive relationships for the kids in our home. But what I found, because I just wanted to be the good guy in the beginning, Mm -hmm. and then I realized we're not just having an experience together. We're supposed to be helping you grow to be a better parent. Yes. And um, and I think that's what and that's why I felt like I, I needed to start holding them more accountable. Like if you're late, I'm not going to show I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. go. You have what is it like 15, 20 minutes is whatever the legal yeah. thing is that we're supposed to wait and then we can leave. I started leaving then yeah. because I realized I need you to learn 
that you need to do certain things and be capable of certain things. If Mm -hmm. you want to parent your kid, like if you want to parent your kid, you need to show up certain times because when they're living with you, you need to show up. You Mm -hmm. need to be timely for things. Obviously, there's always exceptions. Either you don't respect other people's time or you're not taking this seriously. And I need you to take this seriously because this is your kid. Mm -hmm. I want him to come home to you. And you need to start learning habits And uh, you need to start acting more responsibly. And part of that is showing up on time for your visits. You know, if I'm taking care of your kid seven days out of the week and your job with your kid right now is showing up for a couple hours on whatever day it's set up, you should show up on time Mm -hmm. when you're showing up and it should be appropriate. So on the other note that you pointed out about waiting, that's something that I didn't, it took me some time to learn Mm -hmm. because I just, I was so excited to meet, like, this is their kid. This is their parent. I want to meet them. I want to start right away and create a relationship with them. And what I started to figure out is that when I did that, I was coming in when they were in a moment where they were super overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. where their whole life had just been flipped upside down. This horrible experience, you know, whatever they're causing it, it doesn't make it any easier that they just lost their kid. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody that interacts with them right at the get go is going to be considered this big lump of, quote, system Mm -hmm. and the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like, so if I reach out to you the day your kid comes to me, you're going to look at me as one of the people that took your kid. Kat, you could speak better to this. But I would imagine for any parent who has their child removed, they're in a state of trauma. Mm -hmm. They're in a state of like probably like fight or flight. Their brain is probably not working. Yeah. Even if we're not looking at any mental health concerns, even if we're not looking at a drug history, Mm -hmm. their brain is not nobody's brain could function properly when your kids were just removed. And you've been through whatever the trauma was that caused the removal. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that being the case. That's not the time to like step in and be like, hey, I'm your kid's foster mom. Let's Mm -hmm. be friends, you know, because then a I'm lumped with this system. And no matter how I come at them, no matter how kind and compassionate and not judgmental, I try and approach them. I tend to get a lot of aggression back Mm -hmm. if I approach them too soon. If I give a little bit of time so they can start figuring out what's what, what's going on. And I'm happy to provide pictures right away and everything like, because I think it's hard when you don't know where your kids are and they're in this system. Mm -hmm. But to try and forge a relationship at that point in time when they're going through that, I feel like isn't fair to either of us. It doesn't give us a fair shot at a relationship. And also it's nice to find out a little bit about how they interact with people through the other parties before Mm -hmm. you start jumping into that. Um, I think I think that's a big thing that, that you uh, hit the nail on the head there is give them time once the kid first comes in to establish what's going on and what just happened before you try to forge yeah. that relationship. Yeah, people can get out of that fight or, you know, fight, flight or freeze state, you know, and have some like establish some boundaries with the caseworker and then you can have a better chance to have like a more typical relationship with someone who's not like just clamoring for Mm -hmm. like a place to deflect their anger. Um, Talking with bio parents, um, Google Voice, having a Google Voice set up that yeah, that's important prior to receiving placements. I feel like I have everything go through a Google Voice and I have had situations where I've had to cut off communication and, and google voice makes it real easy to hit that block button it's so i didn't even have to hit the block button i just deleted it and got a new one. yeah and then i just updated everybody else i'm like hey n- yeah. new google voice number because it's not what i use for my personal stuff yeah. so 
I feel like it's important for us to be co-parenting. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's important in some situations to help with visitation. However, I feel like, first of all, case managers are, we all know they're overworked. They have too much to do for the amount of time that they have. So because of that, they're very happy to pass off visitation to parents and have Mm -hmm. us do that for them. And while in some situations that's okay, I think one of the key things here is the case manager needs to know what's going on in the case. Yes. They need to spend time with the kids. They need to spend time with the parents. And they really do need to spend time with the child and the parents. They need to see those interactions. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's so much more telling than what on this checklist have we checked off. Mm-hmm. Is let's sit in the room and see how the parent is parenting, see what that attachment is like, and, mm-hmm. and how I can help with that if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if you've never seen that, how can you speak to that when you are in yeah. court? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like when we do the visits for the case managers, while that might help our co-parenting relationships sometimes, sometimes it might make it harder. It's taking away the opportunity of that case manager to watch those interactions, to help in those interactions, um, and to really know what's going on. So, and I find that when case managers or family support workers are handling the visits, they're a lot more in tune with what's going on in the case. I agree. Instead of just being like, oh, this is what the foster parent said happened on the visit. Mm-hmm. But we're going to take that with a grain of salt because that's the foster parent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And one of the essential parts of reunification is that the biological parents become self-aware as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I know that takes some time sometimes. Like, they have to become self-aware quickly and say, okay, this is what I did. I have to start doing my case plan. But in my experience, for a little while, there's some deflection. Like, the CPI said this. That's not what happened. And all that deflection there's no, nothing good for the actual case. I mean, if there's something truly going on, of course, those things need to be addressed. But the most important thing that needs to be addressed are the things that bring the kids home to the family. And I feel like if given the opportunity to find exterior things to fight about, then there's no internal change. So it's probably really wise to go slow. Interestingly, about a year into fostering, I had... I got to know somebody whose child was in the system and she's very close to me now. She's reunified and everything's good with her. And the child went to a family placement, so it wasn't quite, you know, the same. It made me so cognizant of the other side because she's close to me. She's a friend of mine. And like she was so she owned everything that brought her to that situation. And I always like to say that, like, if we lived that person's exact life, we would be making the same choices ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And with her, it was exactly that. Like, I looked at it all and I was just like, yeah, I get it. Like, I get where you're coming from. And it's so easy when we start out to be like, how these parents, how yeah, can they do how this? How could you do this? Yes. And-, and it all, it made so much sense. I'm so used to talking to people who have no idea what it's like Mm -hmm. to be in the system, you know, or what anything is like in the system. So really, whatever narrative I say is the narrative they hear. It was interesting for me to talk to somebody who was working a case plan and really having to like introspect and really having to think about how I narrate what's going on, you know, like when she was asking me questions about it, being really respectful of their mother, which that should have been always, no matter what. But, you know, as foster parents, sometimes it's hard. We get frustrated, you know, Uh and it really taught me to be so respectful of where she was at because Mm -hmm. she's going through the same thing, totally different scenarios. But still, the way I speak about any of my kids' parents, she's 
going to feel like I would think that about her. And I didn't, you know, like Mm -hmm. I saw her and I knew her story and I knew what she was going through. And I was so 1000% like nothing in me would have ever been like, oh, yeah, just just let the foster parents adopt your kid. Like everything in me was like, no, you work hard. You like, let's do this. Like and it may it really changed my perspective towards my kids' parents, because it was like if I would say that to a friend, if I would say, no, absolutely, you can't just let your kid go. You know, I should expect the same from their parents. I should expect them to work as hard as they can and to do everything I can to facilitate that Mm -hmm. because... That's our yeah, we are no different yeah. from like anybody else, yeah. including bio parents. Yeah. Like we have a different level of trauma, which caused us to make different decisions, most likely. Mm-hmm. And like all we can do is have compassion because different decisions, a different life, a different childhood. Yeah, we, we yeah. say that a lot on our podcast is like we're all like one life away from being on the other side of this table. And all of us have different experiences in our life. Right. Yeah. So um if if I was in a situation where I had all this trauma mm-hmm. and I was in a situation where people were using drugs and it was normalized and someone offered it to me, I don't know that I wouldn't have said yes. You of know, course. like in my life, I feel like I'm afraid of drugs. I'm afraid of what mm-hmm. they would do to me. Yes. I'm afraid of who I would be if I took them. But if I didn't have the parents that I did growing up and go to the schools and I don't know if y'all went through dare programs, you know what I mean? (laughs) But like (laughs) if, if I didn't have those experiences in my life and all everyone I was around was using drugs and that was just what people do, how do I know I wouldn't have done exactly the same thing? And, and also two different people can take, I mean, there are some drugs that are just incredibly addictive that I think everybody gets addicted to, but I think, you know, two different people can take a drug and then one person can go back to their life and never do it again. And someone else, like their whole life has changed and now they're a drug addict. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's their fight for their whole life because like of heroin. one choice. Right. I right. Mean, I mean, even, people have different levels of resilience, too. I mean, some two people yeah. can go through the exact same thing and and one person can be totally buckled and another person can just completely rise again mm-hmm. and be totally resilient. So it is not lost on me for sure. That, you know, one decision or, you know, one circumstance in my life could totally put me in the same situation. Yeah. No, I I talk to biological parents all the time and and think, really, we have far more in common than we have differences. Yeah. Can you give me a word that you would use to describe foster parents? I don't know. We're nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the first person to say that. Yeah, we're totally nuts. (laughs) What do you want biological parents to know about foster parents? For the most part, we're truly doing this out of love for children, a desire to to fill in the gaps when they're not able to that. We're not trying to be their parent. We're trying to be a parent for them while Mm -hmm. they're not able to. What is your self-care routine to combat trauma fatigue from secondary trauma that we all experience from working with kids and parents who've had trauma? I... I'm very big on self-care, but I also can acknowledge that some of the stuff I do would not be feasible for most people. (laughs) So like, um, I've always been this way where like, I like to travel by myself. Like I really, sometimes I need to just do my own thing and away from my husband, away from my kids, everything. And I feel it coming with me. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't leave soon, I'm going to like lose my mind. So since I've fostered, I've gone to Italy by myself wow. <laughs> and, and I've gone to Nashville, like to visit my cousin. So like, those are kind of things that I understand are not 
the norm, but... But that's what you do. But that's, that's what I do. I, I leave. <laughs> I run that's away. So nice. <laughs> I do that too, but I'm divorced, so that's... I can do that. But, like, I went to Iceland alone. Yeah. Like, I like to go places alone, too. Yeah. That's really nice. I take care of my skin because I used to be an esthetician so like I I have a a routine in the morning and at night that I feel like is very like meditative to me and um I make time with my girlfriends and and with my husband we make sure we do date nights and stuff like that so Uh, what are the biggest struggles you face as a foster parent the lack of knowing what's going on I'm a big planner it's the unknown um it's not knowing if I'm gonna get a call while I'm in Orlando or, you know, or somewhere and not knowing for it feels like I'm on call all the time, even though I can set boundaries and I do for the most part, but there are certain boundaries that sometimes I have to just let go depending on the scenario. So Mm -hmm. I think it's the unknown. I make the parents know that I'm there for them no matter what. So sometimes, I mean, there's been times where I've stopped you know, I, I got off a paddleboard with my family and I get to the car and I have like 35 missed calls and I'm like, what? <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. So, so it's just stuff like that, that it's like, you, you never know. You never yeah. know. What do you think the community can do to prevent more kids needing to come into care? That's really hard, I think, because I think most people that would be concerned about it are not in any kind of proximity mm-hmm. to people whose children get removed. I think that's a, actually like really insightful because I think that's the yeah. answer. Saying like, oh, you should have more proximity with people like that. Like it's it's probably not going to happen. We're just in such different cultures. and Because we do provide a lot of support to foster parents mm-hmm. in various capacities, but we do need to do a better job providing support to families who are at risk of removal. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The proximity is not exactly there. What are your personal goals to make positive change in our community? So one of my personal goals is to continue being a resource for my currently reunified families so that they can be lasting reunifications. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.